Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Nicole. And I'm Gina. And today we are dishing with a guest by the name of Maggie Maggio. She is a um, nutrition uh, manager of a public school nutrition program. And we're going to learn all about that in a bit. Uh, we're really excited. I am. Yeah, <laughs> no, I am near too. and dear to my heart um, and learn more about the National School Lunch Program and really how it's been affected um, through just yeah, a, a lot of change related to COVID over the past year. So Gina, mm-hmm. first, mm-hmm. what is going on? Yeah, not a whole lot, as I was saying before we got on here. I will say I was look. you know, we, I do this often. I'm sure you do the exact same thing, Nicole, where I'll listen to a previous podcast episode and I'm like, why did I say that? Or I forgot to say, you know, X, Y, Z. Okay, so you would ask me on the last episode what my most memorable trip with Nick was. And I said, oh, it was our trip to New York City that I took, that we took together. It was a road trip. We drove to get my brother. And the only thing I talked about was how my brother called him Ryan, who was my ex-boyfriend. Well, that was not the most memorable part of the trip. I just wanted to say the reason why it was so memorable. I'm just going to go ahead and, and recap that from our last episode, or at least add something to what I was saying, is that it was our first road trip. And I truly believe that if you can't find someone who is good with on road trips, then that is not, that would not be my person. Like if someone is not enjoyable on an eight hour road trip, I don't want to be with that person. I feel like that is kind of a a telltale sign. So the trip there was awesome. He had been to New York city a dozen times. I had never been there. So I was a a New York city virgin for sure. We've been there a couple of times since then, but he kind of showed me around the city and really introduced me to a lot of places. He didn't know it real well, but he knew it well enough. We ate our way through that city. And then lastly, um, his on his bucket list has always been to go to a Yankees game. So we, okay, first of all, there was a bar below our hotel room, which was by the way, a closet, of course, <laughs> New York City. And uh, there was a bar below. So we, of course, were there for way too long. The first night that we got there, Ended up probably going to bed at like two or three in the morning. Slept past when we were going to wake up. Obviously, I think we had our alarm set for like nine o'clock to go to a Yankees game. I think we ended up waking at like ten thirty. So we dashed to the subway. Ended up getting on the wrong subway that went the exact opposite direction we were supposed to go. Finally got to the stadium. The game had started probably like twenty minutes ago. We bought tickets from someone on the street, uh, a scalper, and uh, of course we get there and uh, they are not real tickets. They were um, fake tickets. <laughs> so yeah, we completely, oh, we were so, we were so mad. Uh, but you know, that's what happens when you're a tourist and you don't know what you're doing. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was very, but we ended up going to Chinatown that day and having, and making up for it for sure and doing other fun things, but I will never forget that. Memories. Yes. It was, it was an awesome trip. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm starting a, I'm going to put together, I decided for my work, uh, the work employees, if anyone is interested, a five week intuitive eating course that I'm really, really excited about. So that's been something that I've been working on at work a little bit here and there. And I'm just really passionate about it and excited to maybe bring that to our workplace in the summer if anyone is interested. So that's been something I've been enjoying lately. Uh, I started a spring slash summer bucket list for me and the kids. That was 
that's been fun. Just kind of thinking of what we're going to do over the summer, thinking about all the places we're going to visit. I think right now, because I'm thinking in my mind, it'll be so much different than last year. You know, it's like everything is is open at this point. Um, and I think it's just only going to get better in the summer. I shouldn't say everything is open, but I feel like what the future is bright and that most things it looks like will be open in the summer. So I am putting together this list and I just, every time I add something to it, I just get more and more excited. You know, things to do, places to visit. I am pumped. And then lastly, a little update. I don't know. Paige is in this really, really defiant stage. Have you experienced that? Okay. Not to say I've never experienced this with Paige. I mean, I'm acting like this has never happened before, but I don't know what it is as of the last, I would say three weeks. She has been incredibly defiant. Doesn't want to listen. Literally, I cringe whenever she asks me something and I have to use the word no. I know there's going to be a blow up. Have you experienced this with Shay or I want to say Shay because I mean, I feel like Piper and Cameron are still young enough where it's kind of par for the course. But have you experienced that with Shay? (laughs) Uh, yeah, I would just say she's generally less enjoyable to be around like that. And that just like hurts my heart as a mom to say. Um, but I think it's my just take on it is that some of the innocence is gone and Mm -hmm. the intelligence is up, um, you know, more those opinions are strongly formed and, um, at least in our case, there's a, a Piper has a voice now too. So the bickering has just gone up exponentially in the past mm-hmm. month or two. But yeah, I, I would say the defiant. Yes. Just, okay. just obstinate. I don't know. Just, yeah. Difficult. Okay. Yeah. That's how I feel. And so we are, you know, Nick and I communicate our strategies back and forth. We're really good about that. So we've come up with a few ideas. I think for me, what, what we're, what we've decided we're going to start doing. Paige does not like the, the word no, which is unfortunate. And we have to work on that. But I think what we are not doing right currently is that we are um, we are punishing when she does something, you know, not right. Or if she's a poor listener or whatever, and we focus on what she did and what she's going to lose because of what she did. Instead, I'm going to focus on, okay, if you do this, you will, you will get this privilege instead of saying, well, if you don't do this, you won't get that. Do you know what I mean? It's putting a positive spin. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So there, it's been two days and I have to say it's so far so good. I, you know, I don't, it doesn't mean that it's going to last forever, but I think that most kids do better with that, but especially Paige, she does not like to be punished at all. And no kid does, but I don't know. I feel like Paige is, she's never, never liked, she takes it to heart almost. And it's, she's, again, she's incredibly sensitive. So whenever I even get a little bit upset, it's like, it just ruins her day and they say the same thing at school if she gets you know if they say something to her even just like you know Paige can you please be quiet she will almost ruminate on that all day long so I had to keep that in mind when I'm you know learning how to reprimand her and how to work with her on better behavior anyway what about you what's new yeah, not a ton. Um, kind of like yourself, things are opening back up. Um, the girls are officially in tennis. It's just like a four week, half hour, but it, they're in this sweet spot right now where they're at this in the same age bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really cute. I, I got the chance to take them to their first tennis lesson because normally it would be at a time where our after school babysitter um would take them because I'm still at work. Um, 
And it was just really cute, like Shay trying to show Piper the ropes, like, come here, little sister. It was it was just really cute. <laughs> um, and I, I appreciate that they, you know, sh- we call her Mama Shay for a reason. Like she is very um, <laughs> she has strong leadership skills. Her teachers tell me um, they, they yeah, need some, that's great. some polishing. But um, and likewise, we've restarted uh, swimming lessons. So I think after you talked about that with mm-hmm. the kids, I was like, OK, we should really, you know, summer's coming. We should start that back up. And then a couple of weekends ago, there is this um, free rank outdoor and Gina this is so funny so you send the the rank I guess it's it's like a mini rank but you you send them a Facebook message that you want to borrow skates they send you the current passcode you go you put the passcode in this little lock and there's like this whole shed of skates hockey skates figure skates um and it's all just like there for you to use isn't that cute it's like so mom and pop. I just absolutely love it. They have like volunteers that resurface the ice. It's just really cute. So I we, love that. Yeah. It's so Michigan, right? Um, yes. And, uh, <laughs> so rural Michigan. Um, and we did that. And there was this little girl there a couple of weeks ago with her mom. Mm-hmm. And we just hit it off. And her mom said that her daughter was getting ready to start learning to skate. And would we consider signing Shay up? And I was like, yeah, I, if Shay wants. And so Shay, so now we're, we've gone from zero activities to three. So now <laughs> she's swimming on Mondays, tennis on Thursdays, uh, skating on Saturdays. So oh my that's, gosh. We've kind of gotten busy. All of those are like four to six week commitments um, with, oh, the, okay. with the exception that's of swimming. Bad. So yeah, I'm yeah. like, okay, like tennis is in week three already. I'm like, okay, we can handle this. Uh, yeah. But I think they're just ready for mm-hmm. stuff. Um and they don't complain about the masking. I, however, we joined the gym because of all these mm-hmm. activities, mostly being at our our gym that's really close to our house. And Mark mm-hmm. and I just want a little something other than the Peloton. So join mm-hmm. the gym and you do have to work out in a mask. And Gina, mm-hmm. let me tell you, after eight minutes of running on the treadmill, I had a mini panic attack. I, I had so much difficulty breathing in a mask um, because by that point I wore like a cloth mask and it, I'm a sweaty person. So it was getting wet already. And with like every inhale, I'm like sucking <laughs> the mask in to like the back of my throat. You're getting oh, like gosh. a wet, like ball of material to the back. It <laughs> is so difficult to work out with a mask on like high intensity. No, I could not imagine. I haven't done it and I don't want to. It's, it's really hard. It's not natural for sure. Um, so yeah. I will say that was the first time in public that I was ever like riding low with my mask. I was like, <laughs> no one's around. I'm like, letting that thing creep down. Okay. It's below my nose. Can I get it below my chin without anyone noticing? I mean, again, there's nobody around. So I don't want to be a rule breaker, but it, that yeah. is a challenge for me. So I have not been using the gym as much as I would like to say. Um, yeah, I'm I'm considering joining Orange Theory and uh, there because there's one going in down the street from our house and I'm really excited to to join. But I I'm just gonna have to wait till the mask rule is is gone because I cannot even imagine working oh, and that's out with so a mask. high intensity. Exactly. Yep. No way. Yeah. Good. Praise be to whoever can do it because serious that person is not me. Yeah. Um. All right. Go for all it. Right. Yeah. So before we begin, just a quick favor to ask. If you like this podcast, please write us a review. Reviews on iTunes are everything to us and they really help us reach more people. So of course, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah. So before we bring on Maggie, you know, just a little bit of info on kind of our topic for today. And it's important to just recognize out of the gate that most U.S. children attend school for six hours a day 
and consume as much of as much as half of their daily calories at school. So significant. We're talking about this is important. Uh, healthy eating in childhood and adolescence, we know, is important for proper growth and development, and also to prevent various health conditions. Uh, we know all this. The National School um, Lunch Program. The, the lunches must meet federal requirements. And if you're interested, we're going to link all of those resources in the show notes. They are extensive and very specific. And it really helps schools to guide decisions about the specific foods that they serve and the methods of preparation um, that are performed by the local school and food, school food authorities. Uh, the National School Lunch Program is a federally assisted meal program operating in public and nonprofit private schools and residential childcare institutions providing balanced, low-cost or free lunches to ch- children each school day. Um, and so in 2016, just a stat, that was 30.4 million children served uh, by the program. So huge, huge, huge program. Uh, and changes during the pandemic. So as a parent here, I am entering um, the National School Lunch Program at a point where it is expanded to all children. Um, is Paige in a public school? Does this apply no, to her? No, okay. but I can't wait. Because <laughs> I don't yeah. want to have to pack her lunch every day. That's really, It's really just my laziness, honestly. Well, Gina, I don't know that you would be. I, I can't no. wait to hear what Maggie says because things, I, I, I'm just not all that impressed. But I'm, okay. I'm learned through researching the show um, that a lot has gotten waived um, because of the pandemic. So in during the pandemic, the USDA expanded free lunch to all children, which at this time has been extended beyond the num- December 31st, 2020 end date, which was originally in place and has mm-hmm. now been extended to June 30th of 2021. And so what I've learned in preparing for today's show is that the food patterns were basically waived to support access to nutritious meals. And I'm going to use a little bit of air quotes around that one um, while minimizing challenges uh, to the food supply chain. Uh, non-congregate feeding delivery, and additional food safety measures that are related to COVID-19. So while I haven't been super impressed with the offerings, um, I now know there's a reason why. And again, kind of a, a benefit to opening up. I mean, childhood, you know, undernutrition is is a huge thing. And we know that there are children out there who are going hungry. And so I ha- I definitely do weigh that uh, pro-con. Um, and so I'm excited to have Maggie on to set us straight with school nutrition. Um, and we would love to welcome an expert in the field, Maggie Maggio, to the show. All right, Maggie, welcome to the show. Maggie, you are a food service manager in Minnesota, and we are so glad you reached out over Instagram to suggest this topic for the show. Um, and folks, you don't, if you suggest a topic for this show and you're an expert on the topic, you may be on the show or it has to be on the show. So thank you. Um, never know what Instagram's going to get you roped into. And we appreciate you spending your evening with us. So I guess to start, we'd love to learn more about you, your background and your current role. Yeah. So, um, I came into dietetics as a second career, actually. So I finished undergrad, um, not really quite sure what I wanted to do with my life, did not major in uh, nutrition or dietetics and got a job. Um, I'd always loved reading. So I got a job as, in sales for a book publisher. I'm from the East Coast originally mm-hmm. um, and lived in New York City and did that for a number of years. And then while I was doing that, kind of fell in love with food, nutrition, exercise and thought, oh, I could be a dietitian. Um, but as you guys know, and I'm sure people listening know, it's not 
as easy as just like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to be a dietitian. Um, so I did, ended up doing 11 prerequisite classes um, and decided I wanted to get a master's and do a coordinated program so I could do the internship and the degree at the same time. So um, that led me to get my master's of public health um, here in Minnesota at the University of Minnesota. And while I was doing that, um, throughout the program, you did internships. So my first internship was with a big school district here. And like from the first day, I thought this is amazing. Like I get to influence what kids eat and their health. And I'm also combining a lot of the things that I really enjoyed about my previous career. Um, Cause school nutrition is a lot of sales and marketing. We're essentially running our own business. Um, so that was a really wonderful opportunity. And then it was another almost two years of getting through all the other things you have to do to be a dietitian. You know, the 392 hours I did in a hospital where I counted mm-hmm. down every single hour until it was over. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that led me after I graduated. Um, I was lucky enough. I did three different school internships and my thesis um, on a school subject while I was in grad school. So I had a lot of um, friends and connections in school nutrition. So I got a job in a district um, right out of grad school as a nutrition coordinator, which was kind of like an assistant director role. Um, I did that for just under two years. Um, And that was a lot of planning menus, um, making recipes, uh, creating kind of promotional materials, um, and just learning about school nutrition overall. And then almost two years ago now, I left that position um, to be in my current position as a food service manager, which is essentially the director of a district. Um, And I so school nutrition um, operates as a separate budget from um, the general school district. So it is essentially like running your own business. So I hire staff. um, I supervise them. I do all of the purchasing, um, figure out where to purchase from planning the menus, making recipes, um, marketing, all kinds of troubleshooting, repairing, you know, helping to figure out how to repair equipment, purchasing equipment. Um, You kind of have to be a jack of all trades in this kind of position. So um, that is where I am now. Wow. (laughs) True, true story. I actually used to want to do what, what you do, but as you're, as you're saying all that, I'm not so sure I would have been so great at that. That's a lot. That's a lot, a lot of work. Man. Gina it nor is. I are clinical dietitians, like inpatient clinical. So we, we were like laughing along with your counting down the hours inpatient <laughs> as well. Oh my yeah. gosh. I did the exact same thing during my clinical rotation. Oh, I despised it. I mean, dreaded every single day I was in that, in that hospital. Oh gosh. And I think that's what so many people think of when they think of dietitians and mm-hmm. it's like, no, we can do so many other things and you don't have yeah. to be, you know, a clin- in a clinical role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. All right. So Maggie, being deeply involved with regulations around programs such as the National School Lunch Program and the National Breakfast Program, what would you say are strengths and opportunities at, as it relates to nutrition? So I think one of the strength is, strengths is that it mandates um, a different types of food. So we have to serve a protein, a grain, a vegetable, a fruit, and milk with every lunch that we serve. Um, and a grain, fruit, and milk with every breakfast that we serve. So, um, you know, in theory, you're getting kind of all of the major food groups um, as you're eating a school meal. Um, But I think those are only as good as the capabilities of the people following them. 
Um, you know, so if someone wants to serve the bare minimum, they absolutely can. And that will technically meet the different regulations. So, you know, you could when you see um, I don't know if anyone's ever seen those pictures online where someone's like, all they fed me for lunch was a cheese sandwich and an apple. And yeah, that meets the regulation, right? It's a grain, it's a protein and it's a fruit. Mm -hmm. Um, but is that the best way to meet the regulations? And sometimes it's the choice that the, the child makes as they go through the line, mm-hmm. or sometimes that's all the school is offering for whatever reason. Um, so I think, you know, it, you can have these regulations and they're meant to expose, um, students to a lot of different flavors and foods. Um, we have to serve all different types of vegetables normally. So they put these in them in these kind of crazy categories. So we have to serve a legume, a dark green, mm-hmm. a red orange, an other starchy. Yeah, five of them. Um, so but you can also meet those, you know, kind of just with, you know, baby carrots and steamed broccoli. And it's not maybe as colorful or as interesting as it, it should be. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, strengths and opportunities are kind of what people make of them. Um, cause there is a ton of opportunity you can, you know, have offer all different kinds of foods, local foods, um, fresh fruits and vegetables, you know, local proteins, local grains, um, which is a big thing that I try to do in, in my program that I run. Um, and I think one of the reasons that it's a challenge is because the reimbursement re- we receive from the federal government is not very high. So there's kind of less of an incentive to go above and beyond, um, cause it's harder to pay for food that goes above and beyond. Um, so there is a mechanism built in where you get an extra seven cents of reimbursement if you serve those different vegetable groups that I mentioned. But seven cents, you know, we can all think of when we go grocery shopping. Seven cents doesn't really get you far. So, um, you know, I think there is a lot of opportunity around the school nutrition programs as they exist today. Um, but it, it can be really difficult to take advantage of some of those opportunities. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So what's, uh, my wheels are turning, but we'll get there. Uh, So what would you, what is misunderstood or or remains a barrier to access for children? And can you tell us a bit more about subsidies uh, for school age nutrition programs? So to me, the biggest barrier is the cost. So Mm -hmm. this is a really core belief of mine. You know, I got a master's of public health, so public health is a huge interest. um, And I don't, believe that students should have to pay for meals in school. I think meals should be free for all students. Um, you know, we don't ask families to pay for textbooks or technology in most cases. Um, so why do we ask them to pay for meals? Because I think that is the biggest barrier to getting students eating in schools in a lot of cases um, and exposed to the different foods that we offer. Um, so that to so, me... I'm sorry. What is the biggest barrier? The fact that they're not buying it because they don't get it for free. They're they're packing instead. I think the, you know, I, I think there's a lot of issues that come up around it. So I think there's been tons of peer reviewed studies that show packed lunches are not anywhere near as healthy as the lunches offered in school. Mm. Um, but you know, you can make a peanut butter and jelly at home for very inexpensively and send that to you know school with your kid. So, and we have to charge, you know, a paid meal price is usually between two fifty and $3 a meal, which you mm-hmm. think that's still a good price. You know, you think what restaurant can you go to and get five different things for that cost, but it's still more expensive than if you're making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at home and sending yeah. it. Um, and then I think you run into the issues where some kids, you know, they do get 
a free meal. Let's say their family qualifies for a free meal at school, but they don't want to buy it because there's a stigma around it. And mm-hmm. I think that can be a barrier for people participating as well. Um, so, you know, I think if you open it up, you get a lot more ability to expose students to different things. And, you know, you can say, well, send the peanut butter and jelly to school with your kid if they, you know, or say they're a picky eater, they don't like what's for lunch that day, but they mm-hmm. can come and get a, fr- a fruit, a vegetable and a milk. And that's an additional meal, you know, mm-hmm. that we're serving in school. So we're getting the reimbursement for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your child is also getting a fruit, a vegetable and some milk if they want it. So that's. So this might sound like a dumb question. Yeah. If, if the lunches were free, mm-hmm. then wouldn't how would the national school lunch program make money, even if more students were getting the lunch, which would be a, a bonus? Mm hmm. As far as making money, how would that actually help as far as reimbursements? <laughs> Maybe so, I'm missing something. Yeah. So I think it's an economy of scale. So, you know, I'm paying for labor and my labor costs generally aren't going to change. Like there's a bare minimum I need to meet to staff the number of lines and the cashiers and the dish room, mm-hmm. you know, if the enrollment in the school is generally staying the same. Um, so if I'm getting more reimbursement, that's just above and beyond what. I'm already paying. So, okay. you know, our goal isn't to make money. Our goal is to break even, okay. you know, have some money saved for when we need to replace some of the larger equipment that mm-hmm. we have. Um, but, you know, for me, a barrier to access for children is a barrier to them getting nutritious meals. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think the biggest barrier is having to pay for it because, mm-hmm. um, this is a little off topic for this question, but this year we're able to give free meals to everyone because of COVID um, under the last administration and the current administration, everyone has gotten free lunch and free breakfast at school. So, um, you know, not everyone is in school now, but when we have students in the buildings, we have a huge participant. You know, normally the district I work in has between an, about an 80% on average, I would say, maybe even up to 85 at some school schools of children participating, which is a, a very high participation number. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have some schools now that are between 95 and a hundred percent participation. Peggy, I'm sorry, and, just to clarify, is it yeah. 80, 85% pre COVID? No, yeah. Yes. Pre COVID. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Which is high. That is huge. Um, <laughs> I, I would never in, have guessed that. Yeah. The district I work in is fairly low income, uh-huh. but I would say even among free or paid students, excuse me, it is pretty high. Um, and it, it, I think depends on your area too. Um, and what kind of, you know, food you're offering and how well you're catering to students. But mm-hmm. um, we do have a very high participation. And I think, you know, we see kids now. So let's say if I'm in the lunchroom out visiting a school. I'll see the kids who bring their lunch and they kind of sit there for a minute or two. And then they look at what their friends are eating and then they go <laughs> up and get a lunch. <laughs> so, oh. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, that because it's free, they can. And, you know, we know we have parents who tell their kids you can't get a lunch because it costs us money and mm-hmm. we can't afford it. And some of them come and they come through and get lunch anyway. And then their family goes more into debt, which that's a, a whole separate issue. So the debt yeah. and school lunches. But, um, mm-hmm. You know, I that to me is it's by far the biggest barrier is that it's not available to everyone. And yeah. I think that can be a real struggle. Um, and I can talk about the subsidies. Um, so it's a three tiered model, which I've kind of alluded to. So we get different subsidies, whether a family qualifies as a free family, a reduced family or a paid family. So they qualify based on their income. 
Um, and for free families, the family pays nothing. We're reimbursed. Um, it's a range. It's about three fifty to three sixty for lunch, and about a dollar eighty five to two twenty five for breakfast. So it's not a huge amount of money. You know, that's not mm. buying you know fancy foods or you know paying anyone a, a lot of money to work in our kitchens or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in reduced, if a family pause price for reduced, they pay a small amount, and the district gets reimbursed. Um, less than the free amount, but still, you know, a very healthy amount um, since their family's paying. And then paid families, they pay the majority and the district's reimbursed um, between 33 and 42 cents a lunch. So even if a family is paying for their lunch, there is still a subsidy on top of that for mm-hmm. them. So I think that's can be a common misconception is that, oh, I'm paying for this lunch, but the government is adding an extra subsidy on top of that. Okay. I think that helps answer my previous question that I did not even know how that worked. So when you said, you know, free lunches for kids, I didn't even understand how, how any money would come in. So that that's helpful. Yeah. Um, all right, good. Yeah, I know nothing about this. This is, this yeah. is what I wanted to do for a long time, a long yeah. time ago, like 15, 20 years ago, but clearly I have not been keeping up. All right. So uh, many people declare fresh is best and believe that eating fruits and vegetables is costly, which in some cases, you know, it is. Uh, from the perspective of food service and the National School Lunch Program, can you provide some background on why frozen or canned gets used and how the cost of fruits and vegetables stack up against proteins, grains, dairy, et cetera? So I think this kind of ties back um, to your original question about um, kind of the strengths and opportunities about school nutrition programs, um, because you know, we can meet our regulations serving all canned fruits and canned vegetables, let's say, Mm -hmm. you know, I could serve those day in and day out. And when we, we, um, we get reviewed by the state in Minnesota, it's the department of education, but different states, um, it can be a different, um, state agency, but when they come, they say, great, you're doing a good job. No problems. Here you go. Um, so I think it can, for me, it is not a challenge to serve fresh fruits and vegetables. I think that is not even a question of what you're doing, um, but I think it comes down to cost and staff capability. So fresh fruits and vegetables are almost always more expensive and they take more labor time to wash and cut um, and staff need to have the skills to process fruits and vegetables. And that is a huge challenge. So um, I have a cook who's worked for the district where I am for, I believe 24 years. And I, this is the story happened last week. So the the cook manager at her school, her boss, her direct boss, um, was in his office and heard this weird sound. And he's thinking, what's that? What's that? And he comes in. He's like, I think she's cutting celery because he was, she was cutting celery on a sheet pan and not a cutting oh. board. So, oh, <laughs> so, so he walked out and that's what she was doing. And he said, what are you doing? And she said, what do you mean? And he said, what are you missing? And she said, what are you talking about? And he said, you need a cutting board. And she was like, oh, I knew it sounded funny. (laughs) So, so, you know, staff capability is a huge part of it because, I mean, I could get on a soapbox about this, but we're not Mm -hmm. training people to know how to cook in this country. You know, in in family and consumer science classes, those have been phased out in a lot of schools. You know, there's nowhere for people to learn those skills, which I'm sure you guys have seen, you know, in your work, too. Mm -hmm. And it's not only in the home. It's when we hire people, they have very little cooking skills. and that's a lot to teach people, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in the environment that we're in. So um, I can say that 
those are our two biggest. Like labor is our biggest cost. Food is very closely our second biggest cost. So it can be a challenge for those reasons. Um, I I can tell you in my program, I don't serve any canned vegetables. Mm. I just don't think they look very nice. They taste mm-hmm. very good. Um, frozen vegetables. I love frozen vegetables just mm-hmm. in life and in work. You know, I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, when cooked properly, they can offer a lot of color and nutrition. Um, in terms of labor, they're pretty minimal. Yeah. So they're a great option. Um, in my program, we always have at least, least two fresh vegetables every day, typically one frozen along with that at all of our schools. Um, and we do one option for canned fruit a day. So, you know, and kids love canned fruit. You know, in many cases, when we have mm. fresh fruit and canned fruit, they pick the canned fruit over the fresh fruit, which, <laughs> you know, makes me sad personally. But, I, you know, I also like canned fruit. So, you know, I can't knock them for doing that. And a lot of times they want to take what's familiar to them, which is a huge issue, too. Um, so I, you know, I think it is very important to offer those different colors and flavors and textures. Um, and I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. And I think all school nutrition programs should be doing that, but there are a number of reasons why it could be a challenge. You know, labor is probably the biggest one and cost as well. Um, in terms of the actual cost, I think fruits and vegetables, um, still cost less than the protein and typically the grain on the menu. Um, you know, I budget. 25 cents a serving for vegetables and 30 cents a serving for fruit. Um, and, you know, if you're going to serve a potato, it's going to be less, you know, some potato product. It's going to be a lot less expensive than that. Um, you know, we serve a lot of local fruits and vegetables in the short time it's available to us in Minnesota. Um, and those are going to be significantly more expensive. So it's a it's a matter of figuring out how to balance the cost. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is true or false? This was something that I learned a couple of years ago. Is pizza sauce really considered a vegetable? Yes. So it is. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that, that, um, I don't count it as a vegetable in my program. So um, I don't. So norm, a slice of pizza that we serve normally is an eighth of a cup of a red orange vegetable. So mm-hmm. no student could only take pizza as a vegetable because um, uh-huh. they have to take a half a cup of fruit or vegetable if you're following the national school lunch program. Um, so they could never have that, but as the cashiers are looking at their tray, they evaluate whether the student has chosen half a cup of fruit or vegetable. And so they could say, oh, that's three eighths of a cup of, let's say applesauce. And then there's an eighth of a cup on that pizza slice. So they're okay. So when kids go through the line, they have to, they're required to pick a specific amount of vegetables and fruits, grains, et cetera. Yes. So we are required to, so there's two different ways of doing it. Um, School programs can operate either offer or serve. Um, I would say most of us prefer, if I can make that assumption for other people, um, most of us prefer to do offer, which means we have to offer, um, it ranges for the different ages, but we have to offer usually two grains, two meat, meat alternates is what they call them for the protein. Mm half a cup to a cup of vegetables, half a cup to a cup of fruit, just depending on the age range, and eight ounces of milk. So we offer that to students. And then they can choose um, to take only three components. So a student could, so there are all those five things are components. So they could take a milk, a vegetable, and a fruit, and that's a reimbursable meal. 
Okay. And okay. what we're aiming for is a reimbursable meal. So we get the money from the government. So if um, we have a student that goes through the line and only takes a slice of pizza, refuses to take anything else, then we're supposed to charge them the adult meal price because we're not getting any additional funding on top of that. Huh. Okay. So so technically a student could take um, a grain, a protein, and a, a, a milk and not any they, fruit or vegetable. No, sorry. I left that out. They have to take half a cup of fruit or vegetable. Okay. So they can pick between the five, but one of them has to be a half a cup of fruit or vegetable. Got it. Okay. Um, That's yeah. helpful. And then, yeah. And so that is offering, serving. So there are programs where kids will get trays, you know, pre-trade or they're sending meals. Maybe there's no kitchen at the school. So they're sending meals from a different location. And then it will just be all the five components all together. They don't get a choice. They're just served those five components. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and that leads to a lot of waste in most yeah, cases I, I we bet. find. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I like to avoid that because. You know, we, we want kids to try different foods and be exposed to different things, but we also don't want to see all the food that we make end up in the garbage either. Yeah. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> and Maggie, I think you would, <laughs> you could bring a lot to our district here. Um, I, I, and maybe I'll learn a bit here, but I, I was telling Gina before we, we hopped on with you, my daughter Shay is like in kindergarten this year and a hundred percent of the days and she's gotten school, school lunch every single day, apples and carrots have been the only fruit and vegetables she's been served all year. Mm. So I'm curious, um, how has the pandemic changed the nutrition requirements of the National School Lunch Program and and breakfast program? Yeah, so this ties directly into that. So you heard me say that we mm-hmm. have to serve all these different vegetable subgroups, and yep. you're like, well, why is she only getting, aren't you know, <laughs> yeah. red orange vegetables and the carrots? So um, when the pandemic hit almost a year ago, um, unbelievably, so <laughs> yeah. um, they the federal government decided that states, it's like a real hierarchy of crazy government agencies who make all these decisions. Um, So they decided states, I believe if states wished, could operate either the summer food service program or the seamless summer program, um, which are options that we typically only do in the summer for summer school or like feeding for camps or um, not typically offered during the school year. So um, the, then the benefit of that is that they're just kind of open to everyone. You know, you just have to be 18 and under and you can get a meal. So when we've been serving food, we've done it a few different models, just as the pandemic has, um, you know, evolved over time. So we've had, you know, over the summer, we had lots of, um, parents of very young children, like let's say two or three years old coming and getting food who typically wouldn't eat with us, but they knew we were handing out free meals and they could come and get food. So, um, that is what we were able to do. And they have different requirements and reimbursement levels. So um, they, you just have to serve lunch is one grain equivalent, two meat equivalents, three quarters of a cup total fruit and vegetable, and then milk. Mm. And there are no vegetable subgroups. So if that is what your school district is, is doing, Nicole, then they could certainly just serve carrots and an apple every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't want to speculate on what their reasons are for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I hear that, you know, I wouldn't want my children eating that, but I think, you know, when we think of labor, you know, have they had to lay people off or they, were they feeding a lot fewer meals? Um, what are their capabilities to start with? 
Um, we've had extreme food shortages throughout the pandemic, just like you know people have seen on the retail side. So the, that has been a real challenge. Um, and some of the worst food shortages I'm experiencing now, a year into the pandemic. Mm, yeah. um, so for the last month or so, I haven't been able to get apples. So I'd love to know where your district <laughs> is getting apples so I could serve some <laughs> apples at least. <laughs> so, you know, I think everyone I talked to has been like, I've never heard of not being able to get apples. Like that's been one. Um, lots of fresh fruits and vegetables. We've had a really hard time getting um, a lot of shortages. So it's been a real challenge um, through the pandemic for that. So I, you know, I don't know. There probably are some schools around the country who are still operating the typical national school lunch and national school breakfast programs. You know, maybe their kids have been in school for most of the time or all the time in some places, just depending what the policies are. Um, but that's what we've been able to do. And there's um, just the one single reimbursement level. So when I kind of described how it was different under the normal national school lunch and breakfast, um, the summer feeding program, you just get a single dollar amount for breakfast and for lunch. There's no, no one has to qualify for anything. What about in your district? Are you guys doing a lot of the pre, like Shay's stuff is all already packaged. I mean, nothing, even the sandwiches, it's, it's like an uncrustable or whatever they're called. Mm. Like everything is prepackaged. I'm assuming because of COVID. Yeah. So we, um, we've done a number of different serving models with COVID. So I had the issue where I had too much labor and the district was not laying anyone off, which I would never want to be in that position to lay off. That's a, a positive. I'm not saying that in a sure. negative way. Um, so I had too much labor. So I elected to buy the unpackaged food and pay the people who are working for me to pack it. So hmm. um, this school year, we have done delivery to people's homes. So we have been in a distance learning model for the majority of the school year. We only started to bring students back into the building February 1st. Um, and we right now we still only have pre-K to second back. First and second just started um, at the beginning of March. So it's been a slow journey to bring everyone back. So um, for our students who are there in person, they're getting a hot meal. So we serve mac and cheese. Um, the school I was at today also roasted some broccoli and tomatoes with some Italian seasoning, which is one of my favorite recipes that we do because they just had that stuff in the cooler. So they decided to do it, which was great. Um, you know, yesterday we served corn dogs. Um, you know, the meals, I like to say the meals we've been serving for the last year are not what I want to be serving because they've had to be um, pretty accessible to people, especially when we're sending meals home. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we try to do some more of that scratch cooking that is our typical program. So we did make our own chili and we're sending that home um, in person. We're doing tacos. We're doing pizza. Um, it is not prepackaged for the most part. We do serve an Uncrustable because that kids really like them. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yes, they do. <laughs> they, and, and I'm actually going to put that on our health, um, health Halos episode, the opposite of a health halo. I truly think those get a bad rap and I, I don't understand why they aren't. If you look at the nutrition facts, they're actually not that bad. I give them to my kids and I'm proud. <laughs> yeah. They, we, so we serve two different sized ones. So we serve the little kids a smaller it's 2.6 ounce and the older yes. kids a 5.3 ounce. The 5.3 ounce one is enormous. Oh, it's okay. huge. My my husband accidentally bought those. They are huge. And, oh my gosh. No, I had actually never eaten one until a few weeks ago. Um, 
because I like the amount of peanut butter in them. Like, I love peanut butter. It's probably my <laughs> favorite food. But like, it's just so much peanut butter in such oh. a small pocket that I it I, is I, I can't stomach it. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I I packed one for Paige once, and she I think she took two bites. She's like, "Mom, that was way too big." <laughs> you can't. Talk I don't know for what like I was fifteen thinking. minutes. It's like stuck to the roof of your mouth. You're like, "Come back yes. in ten minutes. I can talk." To oh, you <laughs> it is so big, so big. Oh, anyway. <laughs> All right. So, yes, this is I'm I'm thrilled with this topic. I I really am. I so I know that that President uh, Trump made some changes to the National School Lunch Program. What will President Biden do as far as reversing anything that Trump did or just any changes that, that he's going to make to the school lunch pr- program on his own that has nothing to do with what Trump did? Yeah. So um, one of the big things President Biden has already done, um, mm-hmm. which isn't directly related to school meals, but it is an opportunity for um, people who have children in school is he did this pandemic electronic benefits. So it's called PEBT. Um, so EBT is like SNAP food stamp benefits for families. Um, so he just signed this, I think within his first week or two in office at the end of January, um, saying that families whose children have been in hybrid or distance learning, even if they don't typically receive SNAP benefits or and receive these um, a certain amount of money based on how many days their children were out of school. Um, oh, so wow. I think that will be helpful to a lot of families who qualify for meals, who maybe couldn't oh get gosh. to school to pick up meals um, or, you know, just didn't have access to it for the last few months. And that's backdated to September. So um, wow, not that's totally awesome. related. Yeah, it's really cool. So not totally related to, you know, what I do day in and day out, but it is something we've tried to share with our families who qualify in the district where I work. Um, I think the biggest thing that a lot of organizations are pushing uh, President Biden for are free meals. For so that is a huge topic right now in the school nutrition world because um, we've been doing it for the last year. And, you know, many of us have seen how it's driven up our participation and how mm-hmm. kids have had more access. to food. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think most of us and probably most people listening maybe have never been food insecure and never experienced what it's like not to have a lot of food. I know in my district and a lot, you know, even wealthy districts that there are a lot of kids who don't have enough food, um, who you, you don't realize it, you know, like I've talked to kids while they're in line for meals and for breakfast, let's say I have to fill in and serve breakfast at a school and they're saying, Oh, I'm so hungry. And I, you know, I just try to say, Oh really? Did, did you have dinner last night? And they say, no, I didn't get to eat since lunch yesterday. Mm. And that's mm. a really common thing that I hear. So mm, I think just opening it up to everyone would make a huge difference, um, in kids having access to healthy foods. Um, so Trump did walk back. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I was gonna say Trump did walk back, um, a bunch of Obama era regulations because, um, Mrs. Obama was pretty well known for all of the work Mm -hmm. she did, um, Mm -hmm. with school meals. So he, those were related to sodium, whole grains, fruits and vegetables. Um, but actually even before Biden became president, um, I don't remember who took it to court, but a judge overturned, um, what Trump had loosened because he said that the USDA, who who is our funder for our programs, um, did not do the proper public hearings or public comment period, I think, um, to get those done. So those are still in place. So the sodium, um, it's a tiered system to reduce the amount of sodium. So I think by 2025 is when they have to be in place. Um, mm. We do still have to serve um, whole grains. They, those have been loosened. Um, and we do have to serve those vegetable subgroups. So. Okay. Um, I haven't I tried to look in to see what President Biden has been planning, and I really didn't see much. You know, the mm-hmm. um, his 
Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, um, is the same person who was the Secretary of Agriculture under President Obama. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, he has a lot of experience with this. And, um, you know, I from what I could tell, I just kind of tried to see what his agenda is currently. And it seems like they're trying to do a lot around farmers and then food insecurity in general at this time, just because the pandemic, um, you know, has cost so many people their jobs and um, put a lot of people in a really hard position. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I am personally hopeful that um, the rules put in place uh, under President Obama continue because I think those are are really great. And that's kind of an unfortunate thing. We have a, um, a professional organization, the School Nutrition Association, and they try to get those regulations overturned, which I think is really unfortunate that they don't want a healthier um, meal for kids in many cases. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, politics are challenging. Oh my gosh, um, yeah. So, you know, I hope those continue to be in place. And then I hope there is a real um, looking at whether universal meals, free meals for all is, is really a viable option. I know there's, I was listening, one of my favorite podcasts is called The Daily and it's, um, it, it's just kind of world news, but it is mm-hmm. it, the one this morning, the episode this morning talked about a $1.9 trillion stimulus package. Um, and I, it's going to the Senate. I believe there was mention of, um, the national school lunch program. I don't quote me on that, but, um, it was very encompassing of a lot of different, um, just areas of aid and, and, and relief and help and, and vision. It was very interesting to listen to. So I wouldn't be shocked if, um, yeah, that pushes forward. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, and there's benefits too. Um, So when I say free meals, you know, we do a lot of paperwork. Like I employ someone pretty much just to process free and reduced applications um, Mm -hmm. and collect debt from families, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So the amount of money it would save us in terms of those things is is enormous as well. So there are other benefits besides just giving students free meals, which I think is, you know, wonderful to have more access to food. There is a nice savings, um, you know, kind of on the back end as well. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't talk about it, but I think it just normalizes everything. It it removes the stigma because like you said, when it's available to all people take advantage, Gina was saying before you hopped on again, she was like, I can't wait for, you know, if Paige has this as an option. I, I mean, you were saying, Gina, like you would mm-hmm. take advantage. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm so sick of packing launches. <laughs> <laughs> Bring know, it on. <laughs> one of the best parts of my job is we get to eat for free. And, you know, I think uh-huh. this is true of a lot of dietitians who work in food service. It's just included uh-huh. in your yep. your yep. your job. Um, but, you know, I mean, I save so much money not bringing my lunch every day. Mm-hmm. And it's so convenient. Like, so I, you know, to me, I'm like, everyone needs to just take advantage of it. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But here's the thing, I think, and, and I live in a in a rather affluent uh, suburb, I would say, and I mm-hmm. and I feel like, because you even mentioned where you work, it's lower income, and I mm-hmm. and I guess, and and maybe in some regards, I'm not surprised that 85 percent of the students are taking advantage because I think there's a huge stigma. There is a huge stigma that school lunches aren't healthy. So you know, the parents here are like, no, I'm not feeding my kids that, and I'm not just saying because it's an affluent neighborhood, but I do think that makes a difference. You know, people, mothers, fathers think we can do better um, than, than the school lunch program. And I've had that thought too, truthfully. Yeah. I think there, I've, it's gone through my mind too. Like, you know, I, I think that I'm just going to keep packing lunch for Paige. She, I don't want her to eat the school lunch program. But when I really think about it, it really, you know, I enjoyed it as a kid. I turned out fine. I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> I really, really loved when I could buy my own lunch and I took advantage of that. My parents loved that I could do it too for the very same reason. I'm going to love it. 
And I think you just have to learn and educate yourself just like we're doing now. I think it's so helpful what you're telling us. Yeah, I'm glad. And Maggie, you as a dietitian, I assume you listened to the show before being on because you reached out to us. Um, So (laughs) as you are probably not shocked by, um, we have a ton of dietitians, dietitians to be who listen to the show. So tell us a bit more about the role of the dietitian in school nutrition programs. I think you did at the beginning, but anything to add to that? Yeah. So I think it can be very different between districts. Um, So, you know, there are some large districts that employ, you know, so my district office, so I'm a district office employee, you know, I'm like on the administrative side. So um, it's me actually in the last week and a half, I brought on someone to help me with stuff, another dietitian actually, um, because it was just so much to handle. And then um, and an admin assistant who mostly just processes our free and reduced application and pays bills and, you know, that kind of um, office work. So it can, but there are some districts where, you know, there are, let's say, 20 to 30 people in the district office who work for the school nutrition program. Um, and in those cases, usually there is one dietitian and maybe there are other dietitians, but there's typically one person who's the dietitian um, who handles kind of all the nutrition stuff. So, you know, meeting the nutrition requirements, um, making special diets, because we do have to, if a child has a special diet that's um, uh, approved by a, a, their doctor, um, then we do have to meet those requirements for the child if they choose to participate in our program. Um, so that can kind of be one side of the dietitian in schools, um, because I work for a smaller district. Um, you know, I kind of like I described at the beginning, I do everything and my job has a lot of business aspects to it. So, you know, I would say I don't focus a lot on nutrition necessarily, um, Mm -hmm. just because I'm doing budget, I'm supervising staff. um, And then making menus has now fallen to this other person that I've hired. But, you know, to me, the nutritional quality of what we serve is very important. So that's always something that I keep an eye on. Um, The meal patterns that we follow are their own thing. You know, like I don't think a dietitian if I said, you know, walked up to any dietitian or asked you guys, you know, what are the other vegetables in the school nutrition program? Like the other category, you wouldn't have any idea what the answer to that question is. You know, maybe Potatoes. you learned it for the, <laughs> no, those are a starchy. Um, Darn it. What is so, other? Um, cauliflower, green beans. There's, I mean, there's probably like 20 or 30. Oh. I'm trying to think of celery, I think falls into other. Okay. Um, gr- green peppers or other. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's random. You maybe people learn it for the RD exam. I can't remember if that was on the RD exam now. Um, But it's, you know, I don't necessarily think your, that knowledge transfers being a dietitian. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) No, (laughs) clearly. (laughs) So I mean, but you know, what, what could I tell you about putting a, you know, putting someone on a feeding tube? Like no no one wants to be giving someone a a feeding tube. (laughs) (laughs) Even when I had to do that in the hospital. Um, So, so, I mean, I think RDs are an important resource in schools. So, um, you know, a lot of times when I'm challenged on something, whether it's by a parent or other school district staff, one of the school nurses, um, you know, they'll say, it's not healthy that you serve Trix yogurt. So we serve Trix yogurt. And I say, okay, why not? And they say, there's so much sugar in it. Say, okay. And so I'll, you know, my favorite thing is to do is to look at the Trix yogurt and say, oh, I can't remember off the top of my head how much sugar it is isn't, but it's very little. It's like under 10 grams. And I say, well, this Trix yogurt has, you know, let's say 10 grams of sugar. Like what's your favorite kind of yogurt to eat? What do you eat for breakfast? And they'll tell me. And I say, oh, well, that has about 20 grams of sugar. So, <laughs> so you know, I think I kind of carry more weight 
because I'm a dietitian. Um, and I can certainly have better interactions with parents and nurses about special diet, um, about those kind of different things. And, you know, the district has used me as a resource. Um, I've taught staff development classes to teachers on healthy meal planning. Um, you know, I've presented to the family and consumer science classes. Um, I'm on the district wellness committee. So I think that helps to carry some weight. Um, so, I mean, that to me is the important part of a dietitian in a school nutrition program is just to have that knowledge. Um, and I think a lot of people still don't know what dietitians do just in every aspect of being a dietitian. So, you know, I think it's helpful for people to hear that and learn about that. All right, Maggie, what are some major hits and major misses on the menu generally, maybe in a typical school year? <laughs> Ooh, so this is a good question. Um, I, I think it's heavily district dependent. So um, the district I work in is very diverse. So I, we're only about... I think 16% white students. So we have a very diverse population of people from all over the world. Um, so I think our students maybe want different meals than, you know, if you went into rural Nebraska, let's say, and it was, you know, 98% white students um, who maybe grew up on meat and potatoes. So <laughs> I think, you know, it's going to be very different by district. Um, our students really like um, I would say any kind of like crispy chicken is unfortunately the answer of like, what is the biggest hit? So I'd say, um, the, probably the biggest hit that we served last school year, um, something new was a crispy chicken drumstick. Oh. So, and I love this product because I think, you know, it's a whole muscle chicken cause it's on a bone. So yeah. I think it's great when we can serve whole muscle chicken, um, you know, dark meat, but my dark meat is great. Um, and it is a whole grain breading. And honestly, like, I will admit it's been a, a while since I had like a KFC chicken leg, but other people who have had those more recently um, tend to say that it is very similar to that. So it has a super great crispy outside. They're baked. Mm. You know, we don't fry anything. Um, those aren't allowed in schools and I would not do it even if they were allowed. But that is a really great um, option for us to do. And I think that's one of the things I actually got the most positive feedback from staff. Like, oh my God, it was so great to see kids eating real chicken to come into the cafeteria and they're all eating the chicken off the bone. Um, and that's a Tyson product. So, okay. it's, you know, it's, it's a good one. Um, kind of the, well, we have a, um, a school garden in the district where I work and mm -hmm. they grow tons of stuff. Um, you know, really interesting like, things I've never heard of before. Um, and anything that we serve that we say comes from the school garden kids go crazy for. So we'll make oh. kale chips from the kale that we get. Um, you know, we'll roast eggplant, um, things like that. And if we put the little sign up that says it comes from the garden, they go crazy for it. So oh, that's awesome. That's it's and it, you know, because they're involved in growing, they really try to incorporate the garden into the curriculum. So they I'm know pleasantly we'll surprised by that. That's yeah, awesome. that's really great. Um, you know, we see like we have a lot of um students from Central Central America, South America. Um, and we see a lot of them taking, you know, when we serve tacos, they take all the different vegetables we have to put on their tacos. Cause I think that's kind of the environment that they grew up in and what they saw. So that's really cool. Um, you know, I am constantly blown away by how many students take fruits, fruits and vegetables, um, because we offer ones that look really appealing. I think that's, you know, what mm -hmm. it comes down to. Um, so, you know, I've just said that we were doing that, um, broccoli and tomatoes at that school today. We were the roasted broccoli and tomatoes. 
And I think every kid I saw come through the line while I was watching took it and were excited to eat it. Mm. So when you're exposing them to it, they eat it. Um, some of our biggest fails are like sloppy joes is one that we can't get kids <laughs> no. to eat no matter what we do. Um, I think it's just not suited to our population of student. Um, and <laughs> that's a really tough one. Um, for young kids, we find anything mixed together they don't want to eat. Like we can't get little kids to eat chili. You know, mm -hmm. they think kind of that. I, I mean, I think it is kind of a, um, oh gosh, what's the word I want? Like, a, you know, people think, oh, little kids don't want their food touching. You, I call you know, it a like combination food. Separate. I don't yes, know. Like, com yeah. So that's one that we really struggle with. Um, so I think it, you know, and it's so influenced by their peers too. Yeah. You know, if the first kid in line is excited about it, the rest of them will be excited about it. If, you know, yeah. the first kid is like, yeah, that's gross. I don't want to eat that. Then, you know, the kids who maybe were excited 30 seconds ago are not into it at all. So yeah. that's, I, it's funny how it, yeah. I mean, it's peer pressure. We all know. Even with siblings, like, but, it exists. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, I think that's a big thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're always trying to serve different kinds of foods for kids to learn about them in a typical year. This year has been tough, but it's funny you say chili because I would say chili is probably in my top in my kids' top five favorite foods. Mm. Well, they've been getting it for oh, yeah. Since I do a chili were, contest you know, on my infants. blog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, Maggie, did you say that that fryers aren't allowed in the kitchen? Oh my gosh! Yeah, and his maybe page on the is... show. <laughs> No, Cameron came downstairs. Okay. He's supposed to be sleeping and he's telling me that he has to go to the bathroom and no. I don't know where Nick is. So, yes. Okay. Anyway. Yes. Um, fryers. What's the deal? Yeah. So they, I may, I don't know. This might be something that differs by state, um, okay. but they are not allowed in, in Minnesota. We are not allowed to oh, serve. We have, we have limits on trans fat. So I think that's partly okay. where it comes from. Um, and we do, have, you know, there are calorie sodium fat requirements that we need to follow so i think mm -hmm. frying food in most cases um would would put, put you, you over that over limit in most of those yeah cases. oh my gosh so also i wanted to add that i work you know in a uh, college uh, food mm -hmm. service and the love for fried chicken does not end in elementary school or middle school or high school it continues on to college <laughs> because that is the number one most requested item on our campus oh yeah it's fried chicken I mean, in any form it's good, right? I mean, there's nothing. Oh, it's yeah. just so funny to see that that's what kids like all the time. So that's interesting. I don't know. <laughs> oh. Well, Maggie, how can parents get more involved with their children's food consumption at school? So this is I love this question because I am I I would love more parent involvement in what I do. Um, and I so the, my biggest one is go and eat with their student and see what's actually being offered. Mm -hmm. um, so I. I've never heard of a school district that doesn't allow a parent to go in and eat, but obviously check with your child's, you know, school and school district. Um, so, you know, go, go through the line with them. You know, most adult lunches, there's a minimum price we have to charge from the USDA, but I, most of them are between $4 and $4.25 as far as I've ever heard. So, you know, you'll get a bargain for your lunch um, and see what's actually, you know, being offered is your child taking the uncrustable every day because that's all they're offering or is your child taking the uncrustable every day because your child just really likes uncrustable. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, you know, I, I'd say for my program, I think parents are pleasantly surprised by what we're serving. You know, I have had friends or colleagues who go and eat with their children in their districts and are like, what is this? Why are, why are, 
why are they serving this to our kids? So, you know, it, it can go both ways. So I'd say if you see the food service and you aren't happy, um, you know, reach out to the person in charge and ask questions about why they serve this or why they don't serve that. Because um, I think there are a lot of reasons behind it. And, you know, they might not be reasons that you're happy with, but that doesn't mean they're not valid reasons. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an important thing to do. Um, and, you know, if you want to see something changed, I would say, you know, figure out a way to work with parents in the district to change it. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've never been on the receiving end of any of like parent anger about meals. Um, and I, I hope I'm, I never am, but I'm sure at some point it will come up. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, I have had parents when I've spoken at, at different events or conferences come up to me after and say, I want my school to do what you're doing. You know, mm -hmm. can you tell me how I do that? And usually they'll say something like, I gave them a list of what they should serve and they didn't like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I wouldn't like that either. Um, you know, so I think that's a big part of it is working with your child's school district and, you know, my equivalent, whoever that is at, at your child's school district to figure out why th things are the way they are. So, you know, it can be difficult to find time. Like we serve a lot of local foods when we can, but it's a tremendous amount of time and effort on my part to find those local foods, mm -hmm. to put them on the menu. And it can be different depending where you live. Um, in Minnesota, we're lucky enough that the state kicks in an extra 12 and a half cents for every lunch we serve. So we get a higher rate of reimbursement than other states. Mm -hmm. So I have more money to spend, um, which makes a big difference. So I think, you know, it can really be, um, every district has different circumstances. So I don't think you can take what I'm saying and, you know, play this recording back for your child, you know, school food service director or man, whatever they call the role there and say, do everything that she's doing because it's just, you know, everyone is different and people are at different places and not every school district has a dietitian. You know, not everyone has someone who values local foods and colors and flavors and really wants to expose students to those. You know, some people just want to come to work and do the job and go home. And you know, that's, that's what they do. So um, I think it's really important to make your own voices heard around what you want to do, but then also educate yourself about the rules and regulations and budgetary challenges that these programs face, because that's a big part of it. So um, I know there's a district local to the Twin Cities here that had parents very upset, and they ended up having to go to Whole Foods and buy a lot of food mm. because the parents only wanted them to serve certain types of food and made it into a whole issue. So, oh, wow. um, <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's not terribly realistic in the long run. So, um, you know, as we know, there's a lot of misinformation about nutrition out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, some parents only want you to serve certain foods and that's just not realistic. Mm -hmm. So, I'd say the more you can go and see it and experience it, the better you know what is actually happening. And then the more you can work with people if you do want to see it changed. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm going to wait till post-COVID to, to judge the quality of the food, oh, yeah. I think. <laughs> so I would definitely do that. Yeah. I mean, we made our, we're bringing all students back um, in a few weeks, all ah. grades, finally. And we are going to primarily serve frozen vegetables because we have a lot of frozen vegetables through our USDA commodity program. And uh -huh. it hurts my heart, but that's what we have to spend right now. You know, we've been losing money all year, so that's what it is. So I, I would not want anyone to be judged based on their COVID meals. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Fair enough. (laughs) Maggie, thank you so much for your time, for coming on the show, for sharing your knowledge on the subject. Gina and I know nothing about clearly. So please, for our listeners, tell us um, all where we can keep up with you after the show. Yeah. So I don't have a huge professional social media presence. Um, I kind of, you know, as much as I love my job and hopefully that's come across, I do like to leave my work at work in many Uh cases. Um, I do. One of my hobbies is quilting, um, which is great. So if anyone wants to follow me on Instagram and see some stuff, my quilting Instagram is um, it's Navy striped stitches. Okay. So um, you can follow me on there. Um, But otherwise, that's really the only place that I live online at this time. Perfect. Hey, that's great. (laughs) More time. Do you sell your quilts? I don't. Um, it's a uh, very expensive. So if, if I was to sell one of the quilts I made, it would probably be like eight or nine hundred dollars. Just okay. with wow. the amount of <laughs> fabric wow. and time and effort that goes into it. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's not I think a lot of people make quilts and then try to sell them, but it's not a very lucrative mm. um, business if you really value your time appropriately, mm-hmm. in my opinion. <laughs> I, it just reminds me of that that uh, book, The Berenstain Bears. There's one where Mama Bear becomes a quilter and she sells off her quilts. And she's like, she does it overnight, basically. She puts mm. up a shop and she makes, mm. she has like 20 quilts out that are for sale. And so it's not that easy. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a great hobby. I love it. And, you know, when I first started doing it, my mother's a quilter and I thought, oh, quilting's like for older people. Um, and then she, my mother was like, no, there's all these younger people that do it. It's called modern quilting. And I looked and I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. But it's something, you know, I give away to friends and family, not oh, try nice. to do for money. <laughs> and your yeah. dog pops up on here too, it looks like. Oh yeah. My dog is my child. Yes. So cool. <laughs> is one ear bigger than the other? No, they're the same size. Um, okay. <laughs> this one picture, I'm like... That's really cute. It's just so the she angle. She has huge ears. Yeah, she's funny. She's so yeah, in her Halloween costume, I assume, is the picture you're looking at. So, oh yeah. Gosh. Check her yeah, out. So. Check her out. So, Check Maggie yeah, out. Yeah, anyone is welcome to follow me on there. Learn about quilting. If you don't know about quilting, there'll probably be some gardening popping up on there. I joke that I have, like, only hobbies that 90-year-olds have, even though I'm 35. So. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I love it. Well, Maggie, thank you, you so much. We really appreciate you coming on the show. And, yeah. Um, yeah, keep in you. touch on Instagram. All the good yeah, stuff. Yeah, thank you guys. All right. Thanks, Maggie. Take care. Bye, Maggie. Bye. All right, Gina. Mom win. Favorite new product or recipe? Yes. Favorite new recipe. I had asked, I've, I've always been looking for a good turkey burger recipe. I've made a few here and there. I have found that I don't like turkey burgers that have the extra lean turkey meat. They're just way too dry. No matter how much oil you add or avocado or whatever, I just don't like them because once you add all that, you almost negate the purpose of buying the extra lean turkey, right? Mm -hmm. So I buy, I still buy the lean turkey because I think that even when you get, there's no percentages, so it's a little bit confusing. I think even if you get like thighs and breast, it's still lean, leaner than beef, for example. So anyway, I'll buy the darker turkey burgers. I added feta and chopped up sun-dried tomato, which I actually might do sun-dried tomato paste next time. But there's a recipe that I will post in the show notes. It is sun-dried tomato turkey burgers. There's several other ingredients too. But let me tell you, I had my uh, mother-in-law over and me and Nick. 
we and, and the kids even ate these burgers. They were so good. And even if you don't want to follow the recipe, I made them like a week later just with chopped feta and sun-dried tomato, just diced up. And they're just perfect. A little bit of salt and pepper. So, so good. Uh, the funny thing is, though, have you tried to buy feta recently? Yes. I can't get it anywhere. Yeah. The, the blocks of feta sold out everywhere because of that, that TikTok. TikTok pasta. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Freaking Which TikTok. I am going to make. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Clearly everyone else is trying it, which I mean, why not? It looks phenomenal. So, but yes, feta and sun-dried tomato, a little bit of salt and pepper. If you want to just to try the recipe, there's some more ingredients in the recipe as well. But I say it's worth, it's worth trying. And I can't wait to make it on, you know, the summer grill. Maybe, maybe when you guys hear, I'll, I'll force Nick to get out the grill. <laughs> he hates it. But. Oh, that's funny. Maybe yeah. we'll make Mark do it. Yeah. Tot- no, don't trust Mark to grill. It'll be, oh, he'll gosh. make those burgers dry, whether they're made to be or not. They're going to be like <laughs> freaking hockey pucks by the time he's done. Oh, I will, okay. I will grill. Happily. Okay. All right. Um, sounds good. All right. So my mom, when I, a friend gave me this recipe um, from something called Fresh 20. Have you heard of this? Um, so it's basically a meal um, idea service. So they give you the recipes and the and the grocery list with like the preparation. Um, anyway, she's trying it. I, it. It all sounds like nutritionally sound stuff. I think it's just really to, meant to like give you ideas for food, um, for recipes. So this was a chicken sausage with lentils. And um, in the lentils, you add a bunch of Brussels sprouts and there's some onion in there. Mm -hmm. And then you just add honey and balsamic vinegar, Mm -hmm. fresh oranges. Oh, gosh. And then the lentils. And then you serve the chicken sausage like sliced on top. It was really good. And the kids ate it. I was shocked. I I shouldn't say I was shocked. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, They mostly love the chicken, but (laughs) I... I think I've probably mentioned it. I don't know that I vocalized it as one of my ongoing goals that I struggle to meet, but I am just one that is always interested in eating more legumes, but kind of struggles with execution. So for me, this recipe was a 10 out of 10 for sure. Nice. Loved it. Yeah. I think my kids would actually like that. They love anything sausage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I would say Generally, Paige will eat beans or Cameron, not so much. And Brussels sprouts, oranges, honey. Oh, that sounds that sounds delicious. It was really good. I will post the recipe in the show notes. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. So coming up on March 28th, we will be dishing about health halos. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitians Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. And please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right, everyone. Until next time, be well. And Nicole, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Gina. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.